Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. The date was September 23rd, 1857. And his name was Jeremiah Lampier. He was a uh, businessman in New York City whose heart broke for the moral decline that was in his city, New York. He decided to start a prayer meeting. And so he put this sign on the door of the downtown church that he attended that said, prayer meeting from 12 to 1, stop for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, as your schedule permits. At 12.30, one person had showed up. At one o'clock, six people had showed up. After about a week, only 16 people had showed up. But Jeremiah determined within himself that he wasn't going to give up. After about three weeks, 40 people were showing up every single day in downtown New York to pray for their city. After about a month, 100 people were gathering every single day. One person, one person who had a heart for his city, who was obedient and took a step of faith, resulted in 5,000 people in the city of New York coming together on their lunch break to pray for their city. And as a result, nearly one million lives were changed. New York Times wrote this in an editorial in 1858, about five months after the prayer meeting started, said that the great waves of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Travelers relate that in cars and steamboats and banks and markets, everywhere through the interior, this matter (laughs) is an absorbing topic. The churches are crowded. Schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. That in this city, that we have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. That we've seen in a business quarter of the city in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, working men, to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. That it is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple and serious way, the greatest question that can ever come before the human mind, what shall we do to be saved from sin. Isn't that crazy? New York Times wrote that. That one man God would use to 
bring about a revival that was nicknamed the businessman's revival. One ordinary man who had a heart that was broken for his city took a step of faith and was obedient even when the numbers were low and God blesses his courage, his perseverance, his obedience, and one million lives were changed. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think God could do that again? Do you think it's on God's heart to move like that again? And then what would it take? What would it take for you and I to find ourselves right in the middle of it? That's what I want to talk to you about today. So we're in the final week. We are concluding week five of this series that we've entitled Get It Back. If today's your first time with us, uh, welcome home. We're so excited that you've chosen to worship with us today. My name's Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as a lead pastor, and we just want to say welcome home to you, welcome home to those that might be watching online or listening later in the week on the podcast um, if today is your first time here or the first time in the series, you may feel like you're kind of parachuting in at the very end of a movie. And so I want to kind of catch you up for just a moment of what we're talking about when we say get it back. We've defined uh, the word it in this series as the presence and the power of God that's alive and active in our lives. And we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah and how God used an ordinary guy by the name of Nehemiah to help the people of Israel who had once like had it and then they lost it. And God is using Nehemiah to help them get it back. And so in week one, we looked at uh, what we titled the It Cycle in Deuteronomy chapter 8 as the foundation message for this series. And we unpacked in week one um, how we lose it, the power and the presence of God in our lives, and what's necessary to get it back. In week two, we started digging into this story of Nehemiah and, and how God used Nehemiah's friends to to help him see a need in the people of Israel. And how Nehemiah recognized at that moment that if he didn't do something about it, that the people of Israel would be vulnerable to the enemies that would attack him. In week three, Nehemiah, in seeing this need, not just with his eyes, but now beginning to see it with his heart, took a courageous step of faith and had a big request to a Persian king, which is not a very good guy if you don't know anything about the Persians. And what we discovered in that week is that it's steps of faith that activate the power of God in our lives. Last week, we looked at, at the idea that 
any step of faith that we take, any courageous step, when we're gonna be obedient to God, that it's often met with resistance. But despite the resistance that the you and I, we've gotta keep fighting because, well, what we're fighting for, it matters. Today, I want us to conclude this series by looking at Nehemiah chapter eight, I want to talk to you from this title, How to Experience a Move of God. I'm going to make an assumption this morning that for the most part, every single one of us in this room desire to see and experience a move of God. A move of God in our life, a move of God in our marriage, a move of God in our family, a a move of God in our career or business. I know as a pastor here, I have a desire to see a move of God in our church, a move of God in our community. But what we're gonna notice here in Nehemiah chapter eight is that there's a process. That there's always a process to us finding ourselves in the middle of a move of God. And I wanna unpack that process today. Now, if you're, if you're new to faith, if you're new to, to church, this is a safe place, welcome, but you're probably wondering, okay, what in the world does it mean to experience a move of God? And let me explain it kind of this way, that there's typically two types of moves of God. There's an ordinary move of God, and I'm not saying what God does is ordinary. I'm saying that, that ordinarily he moves in a certain way, right? The, the, the worship team leads us in worship. The pastor preaches a message. The small group leaders um, teach a small group. Like our dream teamers, people are, are, are serving others. Needs are being met. Like these are are things that are ordinarily happening in the body of Christ. But every once in a while, heaven touches earth. Every once in a while, God does what only God can do, and that's called an extraordinary move of God. Oftentimes in the kind of church world, um, it's, it's used, uh, this word's used uh, revival, right? For Jeremiah Lampier in 1857, God used him in a mighty way to, to bring about the businessmen's revival. What we experienced on Thursday at Unite FSU was an extraordinary move of God that a woman by the name of Tanya Pruitt, which by the way is our guest speaker for the women's conference, so another shameless plug for the women's conference, don't miss it, had a heart that broke for lost college students and God used 
her heart that broke and her step of faith that originally started out of an event at Auburn University that found its way to Florida State that is then beginning to move to to Alabama and beginning to move to Kentucky and Tennessee and, and campuses all over the country. And what we saw on Thursday night, hundreds of college students coming to know Jesus and then beginning to to funnel out of the Civic Center down to the Westcott Fountain to be baptized in water in the middle of the campus is an extraordinary move of God. And that's what we're dropping into in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's not an ordinary move of God, but an extraordinary move of God. And what we're going to see through three points this morning is that there is a a process, that if we want to find ourselves in the middle of a move of God in our life, there's some requirements in order to see that happen. And so I want to show you three of those today. Number one is revival starts with reformation. Revival starts with Reformation. A couple church words, but basically what it means, revival is a return to the Spirit of God. Reformation is a return to the Word of God. You can't have one without the other. That they work simultaneously, that as there is a return to the Word of God, there then becomes a return to the Spirit of God. And we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, we see this begin to to unfold. It says that, that all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe, which would have been the preacher, to notice this phrase, bring out of the book. I can hear, I can kind of, I can kind of hear the chants going on in the square. Bring out the book. Bring out the book. Bring out the book. But I think if we were honest with ourselves, normally, normally the response is the other way around. Normally, it's not the people that are begging the preacher to bring out the book, but it's the preacher begging the people to bring out the book. You know, in in this kind of American culture where we tend to be kind of plagued with complacency and compromise throughout life, throughout culture, even in our... um, journey with God, sometimes, sometimes pastors kind of, they kind of view their role or their job to, to kind of, in essence, beg people to, to listen and obey the word of God in their life. And, and so what typically kind of happens is in the kind of American church world, we, um, we build some nice worship spaces and we invest money in screens and, 
and lights and sound systems. Um, we send reminder emails about events and, and church and, and we send text messages and, and uh, a whole sort of like social media posts to, to, to try to try to capture people's attention and to, to challenge them to, to go deeper uh, with God and, and um, plan powerful services, like get in a room and really talk about the flow and the songs that are being sung and how we're going to navigate from one thing to another. And, and uh, for me as a pastor who uh, preaches a lot, um, I spend a couple days every single week and I'm, I'm at my desk and I'm, and I'm asking the Lord, God, what do you want me to say this week? And, and as, as that begins to come alive in my heart, then my mind is beginning to process through, okay, this is what God wants me to talk about. Well, how do I make what God's wanting to say interesting, Right? Like, how can, I, how can I grab their attention at the, at the front end of the message and then middle of the way through, how can I kind of keep their attention so that, that uh, they're not pulling out their phones and scrolling on social media and thinking about, like, where they're going to eat lunch and stuff. And, and, and then I'm thinking, like, um, the times that I got to say something, like, like heavy, and, and I feel like the Lord wants to make a point, like, what joke can I say, like, right after that? to kind of break the, the, um, the heaviness that's in the room. And, and in the American church, um, if pastors and churches do all of that right, like if they get their building space right, you know, like, like there's no inconveniences when, when we park our cars and, and we walk into the church and, and the, the service, nothing blows up in the service and, and the sound in the room is just right and, and um, the worship leader, like, like make sure that, that, that they're hitting um, uh, the right tone and the right key and all that kind of stuff when they sing. And, and then um, as the pastor, when I come up uh, to make sure that I, I'm engaging and um, make sure that I don't go too long, too long-winded, um, if we do everything right and if we communicate and make sure that, that, that there's like 20 different reminders every single week that we have church this Sunday, like, like, you know, all that stuff, we do everything right in the American church, people attend church 1.7 times a month. I need a joke in here. Anybody got a joke to kind of break that <laughs> It's just the reality of the culture that, that we live in today. But friend, if, if revival is going to happen, if, if we're going to experience a move of God in our life, in our community, in our family, then there has to be a, a shift in our heart where the preacher or the small group leader or whatever isn't the one that's begging the people to bring out the book, but, but there's a shift in the heart of people that are, are hungry for the things of God and hungry for the word of God and expectant that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. And there becomes this shift in the heart to where the people begin begging the preacher for the word of God to bring out the book. 
bring out the book, like go deeper, like get deeper in the theology, like, like I just, like challenge me, push me, like get me out of my comfort zone. I want more of God. And that's what we're seeing here in Nehemiah chapter eight that's so fascinating to me is that it is a, it is a leaning in to a reformation to return back to the word of God. In verse three, it says that he, meaning Ezra, faces the square just inside the water gate. Notice this, from early morning until noon, a six-hour sermon. A six-hour sermon. It says all the people, notice, listened closely. They leaned in to to what was being read and what was being said. And then watch this, this is important in verse four, that Ezra the scribe stands on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. Now I wanna suggest in this moment that the high wooden platform wasn't to elevate Ezra above the people, but it was to elevate the word of God above the people. You see, you and I have one of two responses to the word of God. We can either come under the word or we live ourselves over the word. When we come under the word, we're allowing the Bible to look down at our life. We're allowing the Bible to look down at the things that we're doing, the the feelings that we have, the attitudes that we have, and we're allowing the Bible to say, this is right and this is wrong. This leads to life, this leads to death. Like, this pleases God and this doesn't. Or... We live our life over the word of God. When we do that, we are the ones that are looking down at the word. And here's what we're saying. We're saying, I like this, but I don't really like this. Like this is true, but I don't think that this is true. Like this is antiquated, but this is for today. And you and I have a choice in our life. And if we are going to experience a move of God, the position that we live our life in matters. It matters because God blesses places, not people. Let that sit for a second. God blesses places, not people. Here's what I mean by that, is that God blesses the places when we align ourselves under the authority of his word. As somebody that has had reconstructive surgery on both of my shoulders, I know what it's like to have a dislocated shoulder. When my shoulder goes out, it hurts. When it goes out, I lose range of motion. 
I can't function, I can't pick up things, it's out of alignment because that's not the way that my body was designed to function. And what this means when it says that God blesses places, not people, is that when we align ourselves under God's word, the blessing of God comes into our life as a result of the place that we have chosen to live. And if you and I want a move of God anywhere in our life, marriage, family, business, career, any of that, where we position ourselves matters. And so what we see here in Nehemiah 8 is that any kind of move of God, that it starts with a reformation, a move towards the word of God. It's a hunger for God's word, but also a desire and a willingness to come up underneath God's word in our life. The second part of that process is that reformation, returning to the word of God, leads or results in another churchy word, repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is when we come under God's word, and he begins to identify the things in our life that are not of him, as we've been living our life our way, that we make the decision to turn around. The word repentance means to turn 180 degrees. It is, we're going one way in our life, and when we come up underneath the word of God, and he begins to identify the things in our life that are not of him, it leads to repentance where we turn from going our way and we start going God's way. Look at this. Look what happens when we do that in verse nine. It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, which is the worshipers, who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. Notice this, for the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they were beginning to walk this process of repentance out in their heart. There was this aha moment for them where they realized how disobedient they had been and how much they had neglected the things of God in their life, and it broke their heart. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place that as you started leaning into God, that God began to shine some light on some areas of your life that were not pleasing to him, and it, it began to, to break your heart. You see, we can't experience a move of God if it doesn't break our heart. You see, this is the way that, that repentance works. The Holy Spirit is holy. And when the Holy Spirit gets around unholy things, the Holy Spirit gets uncomfortable. So when you and I make a decision to accept Jesus Christ into our heart, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. 
So when you and I sin, which all of us do, when we sin in our life and it becomes um, habitual sin, it becomes a lifestyle of sin in our life, the Holy Spirit inside of us starts to get a little uncomfortable. And when the Holy Spirit gets a little uncomfortable, it makes us a little uncomfortable. Has anybody ever felt a little uncomfortable before that feeling that we experience is another church word called conviction. And conviction is designed to create movement. Conviction isn't designed to, to push you down. Conviction is decide, designed to invite you to more. Conviction is designed to allow you to understand that this isn't the path that God has for you. And so as you begin to feel that, that uncomfortableness, that conviction on the inside, the intention of it is to cause you to repent, to, to turn away from the decision-making and the direction that you're going. And here's what I've learned about conviction is that it feels bad, it feels bad, but it's so good. It feels so bad, but it is so good, and here's why. Conviction shows you and I the exit ramp off of a highway that leads to death. When you begin to feel that uncomfortable feeling on the inside as the people of Israel were feeling in Nehemiah chapter eight, it was the, the Holy Spirit that was beginning to identify the exit ramp in their life. You see, what all of us have to understand about our journey with God and our relationship with him is that he has a tendency to be a little jealous. Like God's, God's kind of like all of me or none of me, right? What does Revelation talk about? The church of Laodicea about the lukewarm, right? It talks about like either be hot or cold is what it says. Be hot or cold because lukewarm and it's nasty, but I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. When I was a youth pastor, I thought, man, it'd be really cool to get a trash can and just make myself throw up in front of all the students to illustrate the point. Um, fortunately, I worked for a pastor that said, no, you're not going to do that, man. You're not, not going to do that. You see, sin in our life, no matter how insignificant we think it is, no matter how much we think that we can kind of control it and keep it in this one little kind of hidden secret area of our life, it always leads to one place and that's death and destruction. That's why James said this in chapter one. He said, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. What is it, what is it dragging us away from? The, the presence of God, the things of God in our life. And verse 15 says that these desires that we have, that, that they give birth. They give birth to sinful action. And notice this, when, when sin is allowed to grow, that it gives birth to death. 
What is James trying to help us understand? He's trying to help us see that that if we allow sin in our lives and we don't navigate seasons of repentance where we begin to turn away from it, that ultimately if we continue down that highway in our life, it's gonna lead to death and marriage, it's gonna lead to spiritual death in our life, it's gonna lead to death of relationships with our kids, it's gonna meet, um, lead to, to death in our relationships, our emotions, like it, we can't experience God's blessing in our life when we keep traveling down a road that leads to death. What James is wanting us to understand and what the people in Nehemiah realized was that the worst, the worst thing about sin isn't the consequences that you and I experience. It's that sin forfeits the presence of God in our life. It forfeits the presence of God. And so revival, we see that it starts with a return to to God's word and that return to God's word, it it leads us to a place of repentance where we begin to, to feel bad about the sin that we're, we're allowing to kind of reside in our life. And, and again, that feeling bad is to, to stir us to movement because God's saying, I've got more. It's an invitation to more, not a beat down for less. Like, like it is God inviting. And when we begin to lean into that invitation and we repent in our lives and we move the other direction, what we see is that that repentance begins to restore some joy in our life. Begins to restore rejoicing. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse six, shows us this process that that then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, amen, amen, and and they lifted their hands and then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And verse 10 says, and Nehemiah continued saying, go and celebrate. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Ladies, can I hear an amen? Sweet drinks, yes. And share gifts of food with people who have Nothing prepared. Guys, can I hear an amen? Yes. That this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, when you live your life in a position like this, it becomes a strength to help you navigate the, the deepest, darkest seasons of our life and In verse 12, it says, so the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's word and understood them. You may be thinking this morning, Ryan, you saying that they cried 
And they celebrated, like cry and celebrate. Yeah. And here's why they responded in that kind of way. Because when the presence of God comes near to our life, there's two realities that become unavoidable in our heart. The first one is that we're a great sinner. But the second reality is that he is a great savior. Why are they excited? Because they had it. But they lost it because of 142 years of of disobedience. But God used an ordinary man by the name of Nehemiah to help them get it back. And here they are in Nehemiah 8, returning back to the word of God, living their lives in a place of humility. And when they returned to the word of God, they experienced the heart of God. When they experienced the heart of God, it gave them a desire for the things of God. Friend, what if you were the one? What if you were the one? What if in this room was a Jeremiah? Lamp here? What if in this room was a Tanya Pruitt? What if in this room was somebody that God wanted to use to bring about an extraordinary move of God in their lives and in the lives of the people around them? It's possible. What keeps us from being the one? willingness to humble ourselves, to bring our life in alignment with his word, to come to a place in our life when God begins to identify the things in our life that are not of him, that we don't continue down a path of rebellion, but we allow ourselves to navigate a season of repentance and And we begin to turn and to change course. And instead of walking down a highway that leads to hell, we begin to walk down a highway that leads to heaven. And our desires begin to change. No longer do we live a life for ourselves, But we say what the prophet said in Isaiah, here I am, send me. That I'm a man of unclean lips. That I'm a man that makes mistakes and falls short daily. But here I am, send me. Friend, I can see it. In this room, I can see it. Sitting on the couch watching this service, I can see it men and women 
of God that God wants to do the extraordinary through so that their lives, their families can change, but the people around them will be changed too. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Our team's gonna, is gonna sing. Let's take a moment, just reflect. There's no prison wall you can't break through. No mountain you can't move. All things are possible. There's no broken body you can raise. No soul that you can't save. All things are possible. The darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up. Oh God of revival, let hope arise. Death is overcome, and you've already won. Oh God. Every head bowed and eye closed. I want to ask you a question today before we go. If you had to rate yourself today on the it factor, the power and the presence of God that's alive and active in your life, how would you rate yourself? If you had to give yourself a number between zero and 10, zero being absolutely nothing, Ryan, I, there is absolutely no presence or power of God in my life. 10 being you're next to Jesus. <laughs> what would you give yourself? Zero to 10, what number would you give yourself? A two, a five? A seven? What would it be? Now let me ask you this question. In 2024, if you want that number to change, if you want that number to go up, even if it's just one number, if that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want you to slip up your hand. I'm not gonna have you come up, but it's just a, an acknowledgement between you and God that God, I want more. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life, but God, you didn't die just for this. You didn't die just for salvation. You died so that I could be in the middle of a, a move of God in my life, in my marriage, in my family. Yeah, I'm gonna pray for us in just a moment, but with every head bowed and eye closed, you can put your hands down. I wanna, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Ryan, I've never had it. I've never had the, the presence and the power of God in my life because I've never invited God into my life. If that's you today, and you sense that something is stirring on the inside, you sense that, that in this moment that, 
you're beginning to recognize that your life has been headed down the wrong path and that, that today you wanna take the, the exit ramp off of the eternal highway that leads to destruction and you wanna get on a highway to heaven. You wanna turn your life around. You wanna give your heart to Jesus. If that's you in the room today, I'm not gonna have you stand or anything, but as an acknowledgement between you and God, I want you right there where you're seated to slip up your hand and I wanna lead you in a prayer today. Yeah, yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? Ryan, I wanna take this exit ramp like, like this highway's been leading me to pain, it's been leading me to difficulty, it's been leading me to brokenness. And I'm ready to get on the highway that leads me to life more abundantly. Yeah, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Church family, would you pray this with me? And if you raise your hand today, I want you to say this with us too out loud. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for living life my way. I believe you died for my sin and rose again so that I could rise from my sin. Come into my life, be the leader of my life and help me live courageously for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, would you give it up for those? Can we celebrate with all of heaven for those that have changed the course, changed the direction of their life? Hey, would you stand with me today? And I wanna close this in a prayer in just a moment. But listen, if you prayed that prayer, it's not the finish line, it's the starting line of your faith. I wanna encourage you that when the service is over, don't walk out these doors trying to live this thing on your own, but stop by our prayer corners over here where the lights, the string lights are. And one of our prayer team wants to pray with you and to give you some resources to help you uh, continue in your journey, your new journey with God. If today you want prayer for anything, if there's anything going on in your life today, our prayer corners are gonna be open after service. Again, they would love the opportunity to pray with you. If today's your first time with us, welcome home, welcome home. Make sure you stop by the Connect Center on your way out. Hey, can I lead us in a prayer and then we'll go back into one more brief little song and then we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Father, for just these last five weeks as you've kind of stirred our heart, Lord, to not grow complacent, Lord, to not be satisfied with the status quo, to recognize, God, that you have more for us than this. And so, Father, today we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for living life our way. And God, we surrender completely and totally to you. Father, we pray, God, that you would just, just fill us with it again. Fill us with your presence and your power so that we can be the men and women that you've created us to be. So that we can lead families that are dynamic and in love with you. So that our marriages can be whole and restored. So that we can walk in forgiveness. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we give our whole lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.